Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box, with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Hey, you're listening to FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Mia Hull and this is Out of the Box, the place where every Thursday from 12 to 1, I sit down with one person and their record collection and pour over some of the stories that come with it. I'm coming to you from land belonging to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and my guest is joining me remotely from Bundjalung country. I want to take this moment to acknowledge that both of us are coming to you from unceded Aboriginal land. We pay our respects to Gadigal and Bundjalung elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations person listening right now. On Out of the Box, we take part in the sharing of stories and songs, which is something that Aboriginal people have done on this land since the beginning of time. Today, I've got the pleasure of sitting down with Sophie Hardcastle. They're an author, artist, screenwriter and scholar, and their name lives on the cover of critically acclaimed books like Running Like China and Breathing Underwater and most recently, Below Deck. They are also the co-creator, co-writer and co-director of the online series Cloudy River. Sophie's stories live in books and around the globe. In 2017, they were an artist in residence in Antarctica and they've lived and studied and created in Australia and the UK too. We obviously have a lot to get through today and a lot of songs to play as well that Sophie has chosen. So let's jump right in. Thank you so much for joining me on Out of the Box today. Thanks so much for having me, Mia. I'm very excited to be here. Um, And would also, yeah, just like to acknowledge as well for myself that I am calling in today from Bundjalung country and would like to acknowledge the Arakwal people of the Bundjalung nation whose land I am gratefully residing on today. Sophie, this story is soaked in water. It's something that we'll revisit throughout the show today. But, you know, it is a theme that constantly occurs in your life. When did you first feel like you connected to water in a special way? I think, to be honest, before I was born. So my mother lived in Coleroy, which was on the northern beaches in Sydney. And right up until the day I was born, she was swimming laps in Coleroy rock pool like in the ocean rock pool and the headland there and yeah on I think I was when I was three days old my mum and dad took me for my first swim in the sea and my mum was sort of like clutching my body and a wave came through that she didn't realize was a bit bigger than she imagined or thought was coming um and she actually fell over and sort of was underwater with me and you know lost her footing and kind of as she was in all this turbulence under the water she just sort of thrust me up through the surface and my dad who hadn't lost his footing you know grabbed me out of her arms and she actually said that I was laughing um and whether or not that's true I don't know but um (laughs) but I love this idea that you know right from the get-go I was yeah a water baby (laughs) that's so tiny um yeah yeah, and you know you'd stayed on the water past three days of your life as well you grew up in it and on it what did you spend your childhood doing with the water I was just so obsessed with sport as a teen as a kid and as a teenager I was playing like water polo and yeah doing stuff life-saving at like a state level and surfing at a national level and yeah I think if you told me when I was 14 that I wasn't going to be a pro surfer and that I was going to be a writer instead I probably <laughs> wouldn't have believed you 
And you did mention just now that 17-year-old Sophie might have wanted to be a pro surfer, but when you were 18, you began studying at the Sydney College of the Arts. What brought you there? Yeah, so I, when I was 15, I started getting these episodes of like really intense fatigue. The doctors initially thought that I had chronic fatigue, and then when my mental health deteriorated and I experienced a psychotic episode, I was spent the next two years, 16 to 18, in and out of psychiatric hospitals. I missed year 12. Like I don't think I went back to school after the half yearlies because I was in and out of hospitals. And I, I remember my mum came, came into the hospital at one point and, you know, had the, the textbook of all of the different uni subjects you could study and, you know, what, what universities were offering what. And she was going through them with me and I was, you know, really heavily medicated and was kind of out of my mind. But I remember her saying, oh, you, you could go and study painting. Sydney College of the Arts is doing this painting degree. You can, you can go and study painting. And at that point, the only thing that I was enjoying in hospital was doing art therapy. And so mum took me out of hospital for the day and we went to the open day for Sydney College of the Arts. And, you know, it was it was in Roselle and there was this huge park with all these beautiful trees. It's where Laneway Festival, I think, used or has been before. Um, and this old sandstone buildings. And we walked in and mum told me that prior to being an art school, it had been a psychiatric yeah. asylum or like a <laughs> mental asylum. Um, and I was like, well, that's fitting. I guess this is where I'm <laughs> going to end up. And it was this really strange thing studying there because I was like, at this point I'd been diagnosed with bipolar and, um, and you know, I was kind of thinking, well, if, if I'd been born 50 or 80 years before, I probably would have been here, but in a very different capacity, not as an artist, but probably as a patient, mm. which was quite strange. But yeah, on, on that first day, there was an artist, Lindy Lee, who was sort of assisting students with putting together their proposal in order to get into the college and she started talking to me and I was speaking about my I was speaking about a story that I'd written in hospital and she just was like hang on a second um and ran over to the um like front desk and came back with a form and was like actually if you if you're interested in studying here we're going to fast track you in so I I got in that day and then as yeah when I finished school my marks were estimated and I had the mark but that mm. allowed me to get in and I started studying painting. Having been in hospital at the time that you were enrolling, by the time it came to actually starting uni, where was your health at? I had been diagnosed at this point by, with bipolar disorder um, mm. and had been put on the right medication and had really levelled out and was yeah experiencing stability and really returning to myself in a way that was quite profound that I hadn't yeah I remember writing about it thinking that it was like a deciduous tree that everyone assumed was dead and then suddenly I'd come back to life and I really mm. yeah so I started that that was where I was at when I started university which was quite amazing and did you feel that way throughout your time at Sydney College of the Arts well I had I had quite a bad relapse in my second year um, and prior to that, I'd, I'd been painting at uni, but in all of my spare time, I was writing stories and I was journaling and I was um, starting to experiment with writing poetry. And I, I had this idea for a book that I wanted to write. And my 
one of my best friends at university, he was studying painting with me, but he wanted to be a musician. And at the beginning of our second year, when I had this relapse and ended up in hospital, he just upped and left and went to Berlin to make music. And I remember being so happy for him, but also so jealous that, you know, I'd been doing all the right things and I'd had a relapse anyway. And I was thinking, oh, I can't wait till I finish this degree so that I can just write. And then actually seeing him, you know, leave university and, and go and pursue the thing that he was more passionate about really sort of opened the door for me. And I think that combined with having a relapse where I really realized that nothing was safe and that I guess like I saw my life in this very fragile balance where I could relapse at any moment and therefore why would I spend any time doing something that I wasn't, you know, extremely passionate about. Yeah, so I think that kind of fragility combined with seeing my friend go to Berlin. Um, I walked into university when I was back out of hospital and like signed the papers to defer for a year and a half and then that's when I started writing. And you did publish books after that, didn't you? Yeah, I took a year and a half off <laughs> and I was working like six different casual jobs at one point, um, like all at the same time and was sort of writing um, at any moment that I could. And so I wrote, I wrote my first two books in that year and a half. The first was a memoir about being diagnosed with bipolar and the second was a young adult novel about how young people sort of grapple with grief and tragedy. And yeah, they both, they kind of very quickly, I was put in contact with an agent and then she got both of these books signed to a publisher at Hachette. And yeah, then I decided to go back to uni um, and finish the painting degree once my writing career was, I guess, taking off in some sense. And once I, because I knew that I was going to have to be in Australia for the next two years while the books were edited and then coming out. I'll just finish my degree while I'm waiting for these books. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the first song you've chosen to play on the show today, Sophie? Uh, my first song is Maple Glider, Good Thing. Why did you pick this one? So this, we've been playing Maple Glider a lot in my house at the moment um, on the record player. And uh, I just feel... Um, it kind of sits very well as the um, the theme song, but like perhaps to to this time that we've been speaking about. I think when I listen to it, I get this sort of calmness come over me, but also a quiet confidence. And I think despite how tumultuous those years were, you know, and, and what it meant to be confined to the indoor spaces as a young person, and yeah, just as, as a human being that had Mm -hmm. oriented myself around water my entire life and then to be in these sort of yeah really small confined starved spaces this song really speaks to the freedom that I gained I guess from coming out of those years and and being able to sort of return to the water so, so to speak
You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB, or if you're streaming via the podcast or on the website, that song was by Maple Glider. It was called Good Thing, and it was chosen by Sophie Hardcastle, my guest on Out of the Box today. Sophie is an author, an artist, a screenwriter, a scholar, and so much more. Sophie, when we were doing the research for this episode, you mentioned that one of your friends once told you that you live your life very aggressively. That really stuck out to me. I think that's such an interesting thing to say. Do you know what they meant by that? Yeah, I think because I, yeah, I had a friend who was, I guess, similarly um, ambitious in the way that he sort of threw himself into the deep end. And um, yeah, he, he said that. And then I relayed, um, that sentence to another friend and she was like it's so true every time you call me you know and she was living in western australia at the time and we'd sort of link up over the phone every three or four months and she was like you just have lived 10 lives in the in the time that um that we've not (laughs) spoken and she was like yeah and so she kind of was like yeah i really agree with that i think you live very aggressively and I think, you know, um, it's perhaps not meant in, in a way to connote, connote violence in any sense. It's um, <laughs> more just the, like the zest, I think, that I have had for life. And I think actually, you know, coming back to what we were talking about earlier, this like sense of fragility of like sort of coming so close to um, death at multiple times um, as a teenager really kind of made me acutely aware of of this life being finite and that you know there only being so much time and therefore wanting to aggressively live out all of it later in the show we will delve further into some of the things that you've just touched on but before we do that i want to talk about the short drama on sbs on demand that you co-wrote and co-directed sophie what was that yeah it was called cloudy river and I think um, it's kind of as you were speaking, I think perhaps the way that I can better explain it is I think this idea of living aggressively, again, is like it's just being so acutely aware of this like finite amount of time mm. and feeling like my life is this heartbeat that is closed and wanting to open that and sort of absorb all of its richness. And and I think the other thing is I just I write very fast, probably yeah, faster than most. And so I think... Oh, earlier when you said that you, you know, published two books in the space of a year and a half, I was like, what? Is that is that a normal amount of time to finish a book? That's incredible. Yeah, that, the, two of my books I've written, both of them wrote them in two months and then the other one I wrote in four. And, and then, like, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I find writing so meditative. Um, to mm. the extent that I will, you know, forget to go to the bathroom or forget to eat and can just sit there for 12 hours and produce, you know, a, a lot of work. So Cloudy River was a show about a couple in an open relationship who move in together and it looks at how they navigate that relationship now that they're sharing a, a physical space and I wrote that with one of my best friends. We co-wrote it and then co-directed it and yeah, came up with the idea together. And my sister had come over to visit me in Europe and we traveled around Portugal for three weeks in a van. 
and I wrote the first drafts of Cloudy River in the back of the van, like on, um, on my laptop and my sister kept getting really frustrated that I was like going away to ride and, you know, she wanted to go out in Lisbon and, um, start drinking and do all of these things. And so I was like smashing out these, um, episodes or yeah, each episode or the, the scripts for each episode in the back of this van and then, you know, going out for the night or, um, going to the beach. And so like, I get kept sort of writing them in these bursts and then, we were like we booked tickets for me to come back to Australia and we're kind of trying to figure out how it was all going to come together in terms of like we didn't have a producer yet and we the main character we because we didn't have any financing and so the main character Emma has a an exhibition in the show in the final episode and so what we did was we um, had a real exhibition that we filmed and then we sold the paintings that were in the exhibition and used that to finance the beginning of the show. And so I flew back to Australia. We kind of, in the first day or two of me being back here, worked or like had a, got a producer attached, um, Belinda Dean, who was like absolutely phenomenal. And it, it became obvious that we were going to actually be able to do this. And we had a, uh, a cinematographer attached and, yeah so like this was like okay this is actually going to happen in two weeks we need 20 paintings to go into this exhibition and so I sat at Charlie's house for 10 days and did 20 paintings that we then put into the exhibition Mm. that we filmed first and sold in order to (laughs) finance making the show for the next nine days Mm. and you know we were working like 13 hour nights or 13 hour days and and like into the night to try and like film all of the show in Mm. in nine days yeah and we did it (laughs) your output Sophie that's so incredible I feel proud of myself if I achieve one thing in a day and to you know knock out 20 paintings or be on the road writing a whole series for SBS On Demand or all of the other things that you did in your roaring 20s. It's so impressive. Sorry, I'm just gushing. Um, I'm going to stop gushing and jump into a song. What's the next one that you've chosen? So this song um, is called Sonate Pacifique uh, by Limpel Twist and they are a French band and the reason why we've tied this song into... Um, this this moment I guess is because I was like so the year before we made Cloudy River we, Charlie and I were just talking about the idea of making this show about these two people and I had we'd been listening to um, Lynn Perlis a lot and I like we were out one night and I just um DM'd them on Instagram being like, hey, we want to make this show and when we do, we've been listening to your music, can we put your music in the, show, in the thing? And, and, and I can't even remember what I wrote necessarily, but, but they wrote back the next day and I woke up and I was a bit hungover and I was like, oh my God, what did I say to them? <laughs> and so anyway, they, they wrote back, Charles, um, who, who was sort of is the head of the band, um, wrote back and then a year later, when I was in Australia and we were doing, um, and we were actually making the show, I wrote to him again and I was like, hey, so you remember that weird idea I had for a show? Well, turns out it's actually happening now and we would love to use your music in it. Um, and so, yeah, they actually let us play this song as the opening track to the show. In my heart. 
L'Imperatrice on FBI Radio 94.5 and I'm so sorry to any French speakers for butchering that name. That song was chosen by my guest on Out of the Box, Sophie Hardcastle, who is an author, artist, screenwriter and scholar. And just before, Sophie, you mentioned this stint that you spent living in Antarctica and I want to dive into that a little bit more. What a special place to spend a chunk of your life. I guess when I think of doing work in Antarctica, it's very much scientific and it centers on quantitative research. But I don't know, I feel like I would describe this more as qualitative. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, yeah, I went as an artist, so I was painting on the ship the whole time that we were there. And then I came back and had an exhibition and collaborated with a charity called Love Your Sister. Um, and we donated half of the profits of the exhibition to Love Your Sister. And yeah, I produced a, like a body of work that was called Deep Silence, I think. It was basically sort of combining all of these like paintings of icebergs with text and poems that I'd written while we were there. And like, I mean, Antarctica changed me in such profound ways. I think like I had... Um, I'd had a boyfriend for four years and we broke up just before I went. And I mean, I I was already obsessed with glacier ice, um, just so entirely fascinated by glacier ice as being this sort of library of ice that holds all, all of these tiny pockets of air. You know, if you dig down into them, you'll find all these tiny pockets of air that tell you the story of distant worlds. And so I was loved this idea that I was breaking down and dissolving when I was in Antarctica and I could feel this change occurring in a really similar way perhaps to the way these glaciers that I witnessed carving where the ice would fall off the front of the glacier and dissolve into the sea and all these stories would return to the ocean and kind of learning that beauty and loss are intimately bound up together and that I guess there's like grace in in letting go and letting yourself be transformed and yeah then when I came back from Antarctica um like I had my first like queer intimacy and I think yeah I'd, I'd broken up with my boyfriend saying oh there's something I need to figure out about myself I'm not entirely sure what it is but I know I need to be alone to do it and then when I got back from Antarctica I rang him up and was like oh I'm just gay like <laughs> and he was like cool I'm glad you found out what you're looking for Wow, that's <laughs> so much to unpack there. But no, I, I love I love that idea of the stories returning to the sea. And I guess, you know, we kicked off this interview talking about the sea as a place that you had come from. So it's all very poetic today, Sophie. Um, you mentioned a boat um, as the place where your time in Antarctica had been spent. Was it all on the boat or were you actually living on on the ice? We we were I was on the boat for three weeks and then or sorry not three weeks like two two I think it was two weeks and then we slept one night on the continent not in tents but in waterproof mm. sleeping bags in the ice and we essentially dug like what looked like graves in the ice with um, shovels and then lay waterproof mats and waterproof sleeping bags in these like single person graves I guess and 
I went to sleep in them and the silence during the middle of the night was so overwhelming that I thought that my ears had stopped working and I was coughing and like rustling my sleeping bag and making all of these sounds just to check that I could mm. still hear because the yeah it was like this total absence of sound and then I fell asleep and at three o'clock in the morning it was light because it was the middle of summer and I woke up to the most like terrifying or like horrifyingly beautiful sound of this glacier carving on the other side of the bay where it was you know all breaking and splitting and cracking off and I sat up in the sleeping bag was watching this you know, millennia-old glacier was essentially a frozen river falling into the ocean and then in the middle of the bay between me and this ice breaking off was a pod of humpback whales was feeding and, you know, surfacing and their tails were coming out of the water and I just sat up and I was like, I will never be able to put this into words. Mm. Like, this is, yeah, I will never capture this with words. What an amazing place for your life to go. And you mentioned that you'd always had this fascination with glacial ice. I'm just interested in the choice to actually go to Antarctica in the first place. Where was that born from? I was just so fascinated by this land that was almost entirely ice. And then when I was 20, maybe, I was visiting family in Wales and I went to Iceland and I saw this glacial lagoon and started, yeah, thinking about like ice as this kind of depository mm. of stories. And yeah, just was like that it, that it does. It just holds all these stories of like time and um, long ago and that when you relate to it and this like old, old water yeah, that you're kind of tapping into something way bigger than than yourself and than your existence. Do you feel like you deposited any of your stories into the ice while you were there? Yeah, well, I jumped into the water <gasps> in a bikini. Um, and it was, I think it was one degree, the water. Mm-hmm. And I came up and surfaced and, like, I think as a queer person who had been performing... Um, sort of hyper-femininity for a lot of my teenage years, really struggling in my body. To be in this water that was, like, really... I mean, so cold, and it just sucked all of the air out of me as I came up, and I, I breathed back in, and I felt like my lungs had just shrunk. But I, I had such a shot of adrenaline jumping into the water that I could feel my breath going through all of my body like I felt so acutely aware of my breath and it really brought me into myself and made me feel really strong in my body and kind of was the first time I'd really felt at home and centered in my body which again was quite profound Mm. what's the next song that you've chosen today uh this song is called people I've been sad by Christine and the Queens yeah Is there a reason that you wanted to play this in reference to the time that you spent in Antarctica? I um, love this song so much and I like I have synesthesia and I see colour sort of bloom behind my eyes when I listen to music but also when I feel pain and pleasure and this song I think ties in quite perfectly here. There's a lot of the colours 
that I saw in Antarctica, which I think most people expected to be this like blank white space, but there is so much color there, like neon blue glacial ice, these incredible sunsets that last for hours, and you know, pink skies reflected in, in the water, all this really interesting green moss and orange algae and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this song for me, when I listen to it, is is just like such a colourful song. Like I see really amazing colours when I listen to it and I think that, yeah, that ties in here nicely because it is that same kaleidoscopic um, colour thing that, that I saw in Antarctica. Chosen by Sophie Hardcastle on FBI Radio 94.5. This song is called People I've Been Sad. It's by Christine and the Queens. It was Christine and the Queens and People I've Been Sad and you heard it right here on FBI Radio 94.5. You are listening to Out of the Box. I'm Mia Hull. I am joined by Sophie Hardcastle. A quick content warning for listeners, this part of the show will reference a sexual assault. If that brings anything to the surface for you, you can call 1-800-RESPECT or 1-800-737-732. I'll also put links to support services on the program's page on fbiradio.com. Sophie, earlier in the show, we talked about your roaring 20s and the things that you've achieved in your very young life. What was your life like when you came back to Australia? So I was only meant to be here for two months and I I came back to do a book tour and then I was going to return to the UK, um, which was March 2020. So, yeah, I'm sure everyone can guess how this story ended. I did the first five <laughs> days of my book tour and then... Um, yeah, and then it was all um, cancelled. And mm. I came back to Sydney. I continued to speak. Um, uh, like a lot of the writers' festivals that year went online. So I was speaking um, online and they were doing all of these different online events. So, yeah, I was doing a lot of those. And then when we sort of came out in Sydney of the first lockdown and sort of had some sense of normalcy, I went to... I. I I went to a bar and woke up 24 hours later and um, it, I found out two weeks later that I had been sexually assaulted. Um, and, yeah, like it was like in my home um, by a stranger and I, it just it just created this huge rift in my life where I had... I, I was just so mad. Like I had been speaking about sexual violence because that is what largely what Below Deck is about on the radio and, um, you know, writing all of these, writing this book, but also writing all of these, like, publicity articles for various publications that, about sexual violence and the aftermath of it and how I'd reclaimed my body by writing Below Deck. To have it all happen again was just, yeah, so devastating and world-destroying. And, yeah, it did become, my life became another another after and I was desperately wanting to return to that beautiful before and 
yeah, then, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just a shit show. But um, I, I was just forced to start swimming, I guess, again from the seabed because that's where I found myself again. And I think in some ways it was less scary because I knew my way out and I knew how to rebuild but in other ways it was it was harder because I was like whoa what's the I just was so it became so existential I was like what's the point in anything um when this can come and force you to take a pause because you all the time that you would have spent making beautiful things or laughing or you know painting or writing books all that time you're forced to take a pause and just start like just focus on surviving because that's all that there is like in you know those movements after an acute traumatic event um yeah you just have to start all over again yeah and I I suppose building work around moving forward from one of those events only to have it happen again would be so traumatic I'm not going to make you talk about it anymore I do just want to focus on rebuilding a second time Sophie you talked about you know returning to the ocean as a way of grappling with that and I suppose another part of rebuilding for you was actually physically building something can you tell me about the house that you've you've made from this yeah I mean, it's such a yeah literal transa- translation of of yeah. rebuilding. Um, but my best friend and I, in the wake of this happening, um, her friend, oh, so her dad came down and was helping us. He was kind of talking to me about what I could do for the next six months, or um, you know, I needed a project and I needed something to turn my attention to in order to survive this period, and he told me about this like release of land on Bundjalung country in northern New South Wales and he um yeah it was like an old dairy farm had been divided up into smaller sort of suburban blocks and he was like I think you you should move a house onto this and onto this land and renovate it and I'd never heard of moving houses before I didn't even know the sort of thing that you could do um, and so he was like, come up and look at it, see if you like it. And yeah, I'm, I, th- I think had I not had this you know, life-changing experience and yeah, and it, it sounds strange to say life-changing when it's, it's, it's such a negative thing. But I think if I had I not been so existential and nihilistic at the time, I wouldn't have taken such a big risk to put a house on a truck, move it and then yeah I mean I never renovated anything in my life um never picked up a tool and suddenly my best friend and I were like sculpting cornices with our hands with like corner cement stripping paint plugging walls like googling and or youtubing how to make everything um yeah and just so many um so many trips to the hardware store Mm-hmm. every day um yeah and we like we literally crafted a home with our hands and I was it was so healing for me to be tired in my body at the end of every day from having used it you know in a way that just like yeah I mean it could not be more literal I built 
at home with, again with my body. It's such an amazing achievement. You know, I've been introducing you as an author, an artist, and a screenwriter, and a scholar, and maybe I should have tacked Builder onto that as well. So. <laughs> The next one you've chosen is by Charlie Graydon. Can you tell me about this one? Yeah, so kind of in the wake of um, in my new after, um, in the wake of all of this, I my my best friend who I renovated the house with, Ruby, she she's a really good friends with Charlie and she played me this song. And this song became a carrier or a kind of vessel that I was able to sit in or exist in this sort of safe space that really just like carried me through those months um it spoke so perfectly I think to the grief I was experiencing and yeah it, it I could not be more grateful to Charlie for having written it it's called Grieving. It's by Charlie Graydon and it was chosen by Sophie Hardcastle, my guest on Out of the Box today. You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5. Grieving, it was Charlie Graydon on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. That song was chosen by my guest on the show today, author, artist, screenwriter and scholar Sophie Hardcastle, who's also doing their PhD at the moment. Can you tell me about that, Sophie? Yeah, I started a PhD in creative writing at UNSW last year, sort of at the beginning of 2020, sorry, 2021. Um, and it's a creative practice PhD, so you get to write a novel and a, like a thesis or exegesis, I think they call it, at the same time. And I am just so thoroughly enjoying it. It feels like a very luxurious amount of time to write a book and to sit with my thoughts and just um, read, like read so widely. My um, PhD is in embodied language within queer literature so is looking at how in the English language um our words and our way of story like our, our language and our way of telling stories has prioritized cisgen like the cis het male body and I'm looking at um any body that exists outside of like a Eurocentric um, cisgendered, heterosexual, male body, um, anyone that exists otherwise, um, how can queer writers write in a way that prioritises their, their body and their gaze? And, yes, yeah, so I'm, like, examining other writers who are doing this and then my novel is my attempt at prioritising my own queer corporeality. So the novel is something that you're writing parallel to the PhD. Yeah. <laughs> Again, how do you find the time, the output? It's it's incredible. And wh- when can we expect that novel, Sophie? So the PhD goes for three and a half years. 
Um, so I, I mm. don't imagine that it will be. I'm I'm a year into it, so I don't imagine it'll be for yeah two, two or so years to go. I I think because I've previously written very fast in very short amounts of time. I think maybe my work has not had the same depth that I'm that it's getting now because I have you know I can write for a week and then take three weeks to think about what I've written and to plan what I'm going to write next um and so that's yeah it's just been such a privilege and it's felt so luxurious and amazing and before we started this interview Sophie we were chatting about the novel and you shared this special piece of writing that you had written kind of in reference to it would you like to share that again yeah, I, I was at the Kill the Bill protest over the weekend. Um, I wrote this on the highway on the way home to Bunjalung country. And it goes, I had always imagined my gender as a doorway, one I'd pass through from woman to man. I had never imagined that, my, that I could occupy this liminality, that my gender was not a doorway, but in truth a room, a room that I could stand in, rest in, love in, a room in which I could exist. Thank you so much for joining me today on Out of the Box. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? No, I think um, I've just so thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. So thank you, Mia. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> what song would you like to end on? So we are going to end on uh, Welcome State by Elder Island. Is there a reason that you chose this one? Yeah, I think similar to People I've Been Sad, this song, um, this song I feel really grounds me and it's one that I've put on, I guess, when I've wanted to come back home to myself um, and into my body. Uh, it, again, is a very colourful song. The pictures or sort of colours that I see when I listen to it are really soothing. Um, and lyrically, I find it really inspiring. And we'll dive into that one right now on FBI Radio 94.5. This is Elder Island. The song is called Welcome State, and it was picked by my guest on Out of the Box, Sophie Hardcastle. If you did want to find anything more on Sophie, I'll put links to their books and their SBS On Demand series, Cloudy River, up on the program's page on fbiradio.com. While you're on the program's page, you can look back at the full list of songs that Sophie chose for the show or listen back to the show if you like. You can also listen back via the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to give a big shout out to producer Emma for doing all of the research for this episode, which included reading Sophie's book, Below Deck. And thank you so much for tuning in. Do stay tuned. Lunch is right around the corner. FBI. When you're a-